Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is dedicated to the upcoming ETH Denver Hackathon and Conference, which is open to all and will host multiple events taking place February 24th through March 5th, 2023. In this episode, I chat with Derek Coleman, a community steward at ETH Denver. ETH Denver is the largest and longest-running Ethereum hackathon and education-based conference that takes place in my state of Colorado. I've had the pleasure of attending in 2020 and 2022 and can't wait to attend again next year. Derek's path is similar to mine and many others out there, where before his entrance into the blockchain space, he worked in a completely different industry as a teacher and educator at high schools in the California Bay Area. In this conversation, we chat about finding work in Web3, the types of positions that DAOs most often need filled, the history of ETH Denver and the types of projects that have arisen from past events, fostering the community that participates at ETH Denver, the hackathon and prizes available, finding teams to build with, next year's new venue, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Derek, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we are joined by Derek Coleman, a community steward for ETH Denver. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. We recently got connected uh, for the first time and there was a lot of synergy and vibing going on. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast, not just because of kind of like the alignment of psych and energy levels, but also because I'm a huge fan of ETH Denver. I live here in Colorado. I live in Denver. So to have such a premier event so close to home that has such a global impact is really kind of a source of pride for me. So I'm excited to have you join the pod. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So just to kind of like get a little getting to know you out of the way, when was the first time you heard about Bitcoin or crypto? And what was it that made you exit the browser tab on the articles that you were reading? Wait, what do you mean by exit the browser tab? Because when I first heard about Bitcoin, I was a broke grad student in 2013. And I saw an article. I was like, oh, this is cool. This might be worth investing some time and funds into. And then I just exited the browser tab and didn't come back for another four years. Oh, I see. Yeah. Funny enough, I'm definitely of the 2020-2021 bull run cohort. I had not been paying any attention to Web3 or cryptography or blockchain prior. I'd heard of it, of course, but not looked into it or experienced it at all. And then I found out that my cousin, who's an amazing like artist, sound wizard, busker, during COVID was basically internet busking on Clubhouse, the live audio platform that had just launched at the time. And because you have to use your phone, or at least you did at the time, people were really limited in what they could do is predominantly like party line-esque conversations where people are just talking over each other, like a Twitter space. And he was able to set up his iRig and pump in his looper and his reverb and live sample people's voices and then turn them into loops and then do fun, like auto-tune singing on top of what they had just said and just create magical moments that were blowing people away. And so he's getting pulled into all these rooms like, oh, you got to come talk to my Armenian friends. You got to come talk to my Black People Professional Advice Club. And then he gets pulled into this Bitcoin room. And they're like, yo, let us tip you. Where's your Bitcoin wallet? And so they onboarded him. And once he started telling me that he was getting paid in Bitcoin to make weird sound wizardry on Clubhouse, I was like, your mom and my mom don't even begin to have an understanding of how successful you are. They're like, oh, this kid, he's in LA. He's an artist. I'm like, he's 3008 and we're 2000 and late in terms <laughs> of understanding what it means to be an artist and to make money in you know the modern day and age. So that's where I started doing my research. And then 
that was around the time I had finished up being a high school teacher and had some downtime and was exploring being a self-taught developer and thought that helping out with open source stuff or Web3 projects seemed a lot more friendly and approachable and interesting than trying to get like an entry-level job at Fang or what have you. And so I ended up joining Raid Guild, shout outs to Raid Guild, and uh, they helped onboard me and it's been down the rabbit hole ever since. That's super cool. And I want to dig into how you came across Raid Guild. But I also want to learn a little bit about what you were doing before you were in the Web3 space. So you were an educator in the Bay Area. So where did you go to school? What did you study? And what was it about teaching high school students that made you want to be in that field? Yeah, I've always been pretty technically interested. I got a physics major at Cal so that I could just understand how things work. It wasn't even an engineering degree, so it wasn't even particularly useful. But after I got it, I decided rather than go into industry and rather than stay in academia and get a PhD, I wanted to sort of interact with people and use more of my social skills and get to connect with folks and more directly help them. So that's why I stayed and got my master's there so I could have a credential to do high school teaching. I ended up staying in the Bay Area and teaching at a school called Lighthouse, a K-12 school in Oakland, and taught physics there at the high school level for five years, ninth grade, 12th grade, everything in between. And that lit me up. Like My deepest passion is empowering people through education and giving them the skills and knowledge they need to be able to live just healthier lives with less suffering and more excitement and success. So... You know, I mean, frankly, I burnt out after five years. It was a pretty tough job, even though I deeply loved my students and every day of it and ended up sort of accidentally transitioning into Web3 through a series of fortunate events. And even in my current role, it feels very similar because a lot of what I think about is, you know, who is our community? What are their interests? What are their pain points? Are they feeling imposter syndrome? What kinds of resources do they need? Do they need articles? Do they need scholarships? Do they need mentorship? Do they need just community areas to vibe and feel less alone? So it feels very similar in a lot of ways. Awesome. And what were you teaching when when you were a, a teacher? Were you teaching physics? Yeah, I exclusively taught high school physics. Cool. What was kind of the vibe of the students talking about crypto then? Because uh, we're going to get into college outreach and I went on a college tour to talk about onboarding into Web3 careers recently. I've been collaborating with universities here. And a lot of the students I've spoken with, none of them are brand new to the space. They were kind of like messing around with NFTs, DeFi, crypto games when they were 15, 16, 17. So I'm wondering if you had a finger on the pulse, if any of your students were talking about it in class, or maybe you overheard conversations in the hallways. Not to my knowledge. Even recently, now that I'm in this role and in this world, I visited a buddy of mine who's still a high school physics teacher at a different school in El Cerrito and came in and did basically my, hey, everyone, here's a little bit about this industry and here's a little bit about East Denver. If you're curious to come, just let me know. I'd love nothing more than to help make it happen. And they were by and large um, skeptical, curious, but it's by no means something that's crossed the cultural zeitgeist to that particular part of the world and population. I don't think that it's the kind of thing where like every Gen Z's in crypto, like, yes, obviously the younger you go more percentage-wide across the world and across the country, that's the case. But yeah, in that particular moment, my sense was that crypto is still being perceived as this weird scammy thing. And maybe you go buy some ETH on Coinbase, but that's kind of where it stops. I don't think people are yield farming or flipping NFTs. Interesting. And so how did you kind of decide when you're making this big career shift that you're going to go into tech? Was it just like a Bay Area thing? Or was there something particular about like learning how to code maybe in Solidity or another language that kind of called to you? Yeah, it was kind of a two-part thing. One was my own desire to dig more into learning itself. I really enjoy the feeling of my brain being on fire as it's grappling in its, you know, we call it the zone of proximal development as the neurons are actually beginning to experience myelination and become stronger. There's a real feeling in your body when you're learning and it's a real thing. And that's just kind of one of my favorite feelings in the world. So with my downtime, I was learning all kinds of stuff and um, JavaScript was one of them. And along the way, 
I mean, it's funny, right? Because I've never, even though I'm in the, one of the tech hubs of the country for now, I've never really done anything in person to that effect. So it's always felt silly. I've always worked remotely, whether it's in like a Discord server for a DAO or now full time with the ETH Denver and Spork DAO team. I could be in Ohio or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter that I'm in the Bay Area. None of my connections are actually in the Bay Area. But I frankly did have a bit of that like, well, I got my physics degree and then I hate to say it, but I had a bit of a those who can't do teach insecurity of like, am I even capable of really getting in there and using my own two hands to do some stuff? Or can I just talk about it? So I think I had something to prove to myself and wanted to explore that. And that's what drew me to the learning. And then as for how I actually got in and started contributing, if you're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, you can imagine a graph where the x-axis is how much time you've spent learning something and the y-axis is how much confidence you have in your ability to do that thing and there's a pretty common pretty universal phenomenon across all people where in the beginning you don't know anything and you know you don't know anything but then as soon as you start learning it rapidly has this steep slope and you hit a giant peak somewhere in the pretty early stages where you're like, oh my God, I'm learning so fast. I'm growing so rapidly. I feel like I can really do this. I'm going to be a game changer. I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs here. And I, I am very guilty of that. It happens to me all the time. And honestly, I embrace it. I think it really helps with the momentum of getting over some of that imposter syndrome in the early stages. So I'm actually a huge champion for the Dunning-Kruger effect. Like, Let's get in there. Let's overestimate our ability so that we can get in and move fast and break things and learn enough to be dangerous and so on. I really am like a champion of the newbie in that sense. And then the rest of the curve is there's immediately a steep decline where you realize, oh, there's so much I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And then it's a slow rise for the rest of time. Like, But you know what? If I stick around long enough, I can learn it piece by piece. So in the beginning, you're way overblown in your confidence. But like I said, I think that can be an asset sometimes. So in that space of I'm learning JavaScript. I'm learning about Web3. I'm learning Solidity. I'm doing like one or two YouTube tutorials. And as soon as I get my NPM set up and my VS code, I'm feeling like a software, a senior level engineer. I'm like, oh yeah, let me get in there. I didn't want to spend a year in tutorial hell, just watching videos. I wanted to actually start contributing and even making money and accelerate my learning with a team of people in an actual context where I felt useful. So that's where I started poking around and found Raid Guild through their Twitter account. Raid Guild, for anyone who doesn't know, is a Web3 dev shop. It's a decentralized guild of mercenaries ready to slay your Web3 demons. Clients come up, real pain clients, and say, I'm interested in launching this type of a dApp, this type of a project in the Web3 space. I'm going to need the smart contracts, the front end, the back end, marketing support, community support. We're a full stop shop. And so they come up, our cleric does a design sprint with them and makes a proposal. And then we pass it off to like the monk to project manage and get together a team of warriors and wizards and paladins, depending on the requirements of the project. That's like front end devs and smart contract devs and so on. And uh, manage all this basically as anons in a Discord server through the power of smart contracts that let us coordinate in a more trustless way. Like no one person ever has all the money. Like from start to finish, we're able to work across time zones, across languages without knowing each other's names or faces and produce high quality work and get it done. So I was really impressed with the culture of what I was seeing, walked up to the front door and said, can I play? No interview, no CV or resume. They just started onboarding me like, here's what a DAO is. Here's a smart contract. Join this DAO. Let's do a little vote. Let's distribute some money among your cohort. And shout outs to Tay. Tay Kicks was onboarding us and just has such a strong mind for creating community and being attuned to what people need to know and titrating that. So much of trying to join this space is an overwhelming flood of information that makes you feel alone. Even when you try to join a community or a Discord server, a lot of servers are guilty of that, click this green check mark to accept our rules, and suddenly you can see 100 channels and it's overwhelming. So I appreciated Tay's thoughtfulness and the onboarding experience there. Yeah, that's really cool that I noticed you were using words like monk and wizard and cleric. Guilds are kind of like a long running thing in the internet space when it comes to gaming. It's an agglomeration of individuals who come together to kind of like connect and figure out ways to best progress their team. 
And I think that that's something that's really cool that's kind of translated into this decentralized, anon sort of community building way that is Web3. So I guess I'm also a little bit curious. It sounds like you stumbled in in the right place in the right time. What would be your suggestion for someone who's listening to this right now? And maybe they're burnt out on their career because that's how I felt before I got into the blockchain space. I was very burnt out on urban planning and I was looking for an exit, but I didn't know what that was. I just knew that I wanted to be in something that interested me and that I wanted to grok on a daily basis and just kind of like learn about something that feels like a never ending ocean that is crypto web three blockchain. So your origin story sounds like you got a little bit lucky. If somebody's looking for their exit plan, what are some sort of tips or suggestions that you would make for ways to go about finding these types of communities? Yeah, I'll answer that in two parts. One, to give like a more slightly more honest and detailed version of how my onboarding at Raid Guild played out, because I think that's valuable. And then the second is like a more generalized here would be my advice. I walked into Raid Guild and claimed to be a front-end dev, even though I did not know a lick of React. And so I'm sitting there in the Discord trying to do real client work, which you know I'm on the hook to deliver and get paid hundreds of dollars for. And in that moment of crashing down from my Dunning-Kruger confidence down to the reality that I'm brand new here and don't know how to do this and don't want to make the whole guild that's been so kind to me look bad, folks like Scotchpreneur or um, JP or Tay or Makeder would come into that, you know, sort of hacking channel that we have. It's public and join me and say, Hey, Derek, welcome. How's it going? What you working on? And I'd admit, like, I'm totally lost. I don't understand why I can't just declare this variable. And they'd be like, Do you not know how hooks work in React for managing state? And I was like, no, I don't. And they were like, okay, yeah, here's how it goes. You do left bracket, no, the square bracket. And we're walking me through it step by step. And that actually was the moment I realized that I was in the right place. Because for there to be this attitude of people that had so much more knowledge and wisdom in me, of being willing to just take their time out of nowhere and give me that kindness and patience and generosity of spirit to help me out and build me up so that I could be a contributing member of the guild one step at a time, it was really powerful to me. And it felt like a real, a really supportive environment. And I would later realize that my experience was not unique. I think the open source ethos is not just for what we create. It's not just let's create a code base that could potentially help thousands or tens of thousands of people. Like the open source industry creates billions of dollars a year of value, none of which for the most part is captured. And that's why you know folks like Kevin Awaki are working on creating new incentive mechanisms to support folks creating that stuff. But it's also sort of an ethical, cultural, spiritual dimension of our industry. I think people have this heart of being open source and being kind and generous and being willing to just share not only their code, but their time and their knowledge and their wisdom and their patience. So that was the turning point for me where I realized, oh, this is the kind of place I could be for the long haul, where I could be vulnerable, where I could really learn and ask for support and give it. I want to be a part of this community. So that was my in. And I wanted to share that story because I think anyone who's on the cusp of the rabbit hole, looking down, feeling like if I start falling, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like I'm going to crash. I think if you find the right communities and start poking around and finding your tribe, then you'll probably be pleasantly surprised because I've heard stories a lot like mine time and time again. The second part of my answer is more so in relation to where do I start, like at a more maybe tactical level. The three positions that I consistently see DAOs and organizations having a hard time hiring for, in other words, where there's a lot of demand, are smart contract development, keep it simple, learn solidity. There's a lot of other options that are great, but I would recommend, for example, Patrick Collins' free code camp 32-hour tutorial. If you do nothing else, just start to finish that tutorial. You'll literally be ready to walk into any industry-level team, understand their code base, and start contributing. So just plug away at that piece by piece. If you do that and only that, you're good to go. 
And if you want help with it, come to discord.gg slash sport down and we can talk about it because we've been going through it too slowly as a community. Because, you know, the old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I and many others like me are here to support you if that's interesting. Number two position, front end. Front end's not going out of style. So if you know React or are thinking about learning React through a boot camp or some self-paced, self-taught resource, I think you can learn it for free. I don't think you should spend tens of thousands of dollars on a boot camp personally. The dirty secret of Web3 is the transition from being a Web2 front-end dev to a Web3 front-end dev. It takes like one weekend of learning how ethers.js works because you just import that library and start using all of its methods like dot connect a wallet and dot send transaction and you're done. So the front-end side... Like, again, here's my peak Dunning-Kruger is not that hard to learn. If you know how to make a website, making a Web3 website is very similar. However, it requires a lot of fundamental shifts in how you think about websites and databases and data and what's public and private and how you handle things like authentication. That's a whole mind change. But I do think that it's a pretty easy transition at a, at a learning level. And then the third one for my non-technical friends like me that are not coming in hot, like I'm ready to code for eight hours a day. I'm more so in that, how can we set up an intentional community that has a supportive vibe? How can we curate and create some resources or spaces for folks to connect around whatever our, the values are? Community managers or community stewards are super in demand. I'm not kidding. If all of your skill set is creating digital spaces, where folks can vibe and to nurture that almost like a digital campfire of sorts where folks gather around the hearth and feel good times and listen to music and screen share video games and these kinds of things, then that's the 21st century skill set of being able to support nearly every organization with their core need, which is to engage and foster relationships among the people that are a part of the community. For a lot of decentralized apps, apps that's the users who in our like tokenized world are also the owners or the governors of whatever it is. So, you know, in a web two model, you just got like your customers or your users and they don't need to know each other for you to profit. But in web three, it's much more of an existential necessity to facilitate folks coming together and bonding. So learning the community manager skill set, even though they're in our space, that playbook's still being written day by day. I think there's a lot that we can learn from, you know, community building has been going on for tens of thousands of years, right? So I think in some ways we're reinventing the wheel and learning in a post-COVID world where a lot of us are working remotely how to skeuomorphically bridge things like eating together. Okay, now we've got maybe a digital happy hour or things like a cocktail event where you get to just chat and float around the room. How can we create that in a digital space? Because naively, if you just do a voice chat or a Zoom room or a Google Meet, well, if there's no way for us to physically move closer to or further away from each other, that's different. And the medium's the message. So you're going to get different kinds of interactions. So I think people really giving the thought and attention to how am I going to design, like from an interior design perspective almost, how am I going to create spaces and decorate them and set them up and communicate them in such a way that I hopefully foster the kinds of interactions that are the best for this community. Yeah, that's really cool that you lay out the kind of three different ways in which somebody can onboard into Web3. And I really like that you super highlight the kind of community building aspect because you're right, for all of humans' existence, we existed in this meat space, but now we're learning how to collaborate asynchronously. And this is kind of a paradigm shift for humanity and the ways that we get to work together. I also really appreciate that you covered the breadth of what skills that people can offer. I remember when I was looking for my exit plan, all I knew was that I could write and convey concepts. And that is the skill set that I leveraged into kind of having my day-to-day -day role in the blockchain space that I have now. And I'm actually really excited to kind of dig in to the opportunities that you're going to be providing to students who are currently in school, very interested in the space, looking for their way to kind of get their hands dirty and to start building. But before we go into that, I do want to paint a little bit of context for the realm in which these kind of benefits are going to be offered. So you're a community steward at ETH Denver. 
Could you just share with me what ETH Denver is and what does a community steward do? ETH Denver stands for Ethereum Denver. Ethereum's the second most famous, second largest cryptocurrency behind Bitcoin. And its revolution was to allow you to execute code on top of the blockchain. So now we have smart contracts where you can do arbitrary logic to move around either ETH or, you know, at this point, ERC-20s and ERC-721s. So we get folks together every year in February to hack. And we call it biddling, just like Bitcoin has HODL. We have on Ethereum, you can biddle, you can build things. So we biddle stuff during ETH Denver and create all kinds of prototypes and mockups and, and projects that very often go on to become, you know, either VC backed or go to community and launch their token and become like some, like one inch started at ETH Denver. Interesting. And uh, Moloch DAO started ETH Denver and Raid Guild started ETH Denver. It's a real launching point for folks to just meet as strangers often and then come together around a cool idea. And then it becomes like their baby, their startup. So I highly recommend if anyone's crypto curious that you come to ETH Denver 2023 at the end of February, early March. It's free to attend, always will be. If you want to check it out, go to ethdenver.com. If you're ready to sign up, ethdenver.com slash apply. And if you think you might need some support reducing any financial barriers, we're offering scholarships to folks that need it most. That's ethdenver.com slash scholarships. And if, if you have any questions or reservations, just hit us up discord.gg slash sporkdow or twitter.com slash ethereum denver or find me because truly... And, and this is also implicitly answering your question. What's a community steward? My job is just to help folks. It's almost like a developer relations or developer advocate position, but without any particular protocol or product or service that I'm trying to convince people to use. I just want to understand what folks' hopes and dreams and aspirations are and where they're at today and what barriers they see between where they are today and where they're trying to go and what I can do to help remove those barriers. I spoke earlier about. You know, our on the community team side of ETH Denver, our mission statement is to provide the educational, financial, and social resources to empower folks to build the decentralized future. So whatever I can do to give you what you need to do whatever you're trying to do and dream big, that would really fulfill me. And I want to tap more into that, but I do want to just ask one more question because I'm such a proponent and fan of ETH Denver. What separates this event from other not only just Ethereum events globally, but just every other blockchain and crypto conference event in general, what really makes East Denver special? Well, East Denver is going into its sixth year. So that's exciting. It grew very organically out of the Denver, Colorado blockchain meetup scene and naturally to meet the pace and demand for folks just coming together and connect and understand more about this blossoming industry. Some other things that make it unique. It's free to attend and always will be, really aims to be newbie friendly. And we care a lot about onboarding. And as a little bit of alpha, we're going to be offering a program called Camp Biddle. It's a bootcamp-esque opportunity for folks that are brand new to Web3 to sign up to be there. And it's about a 10-day program that'll take you from zero to hero with the intention of getting you ready to contribute during the Biddle-a-thon to your first project and successfully submit something and be proud of yourself. And maybe win big. We've got over a million dollars already in prizes on the table. But the main thing I think people would say, other than being giant and chaotic and like the place to be or some things I've heard, is that we're weird and quirky. And I really appreciate like it being an extension of what Vitalik has done with Ethereum from the very beginning, which is to create a culture and a community where being weird and wearing pajamas on stage is okay. And having weird hair or being kind of grungy or crusty or punky is just everything's welcome here you know you don't need to wear a suit and tie to come to east denver and so we're a lot of people's first web3 event for all those reasons that's something i take to heart i'm i'm really grateful that people would trust us to be the transition for them from i've never done this before to i'm going to try and check it out yeah, and, and that you can just let your freak flag fly and, and be accepted, I think, is something that is not only just valuable in this internet culture that we're combining kind of like our everyday lives with a new sort of income stream, 
but also to be able to to vibe and mesh with people in person that are just like you is great. I would also be remiss not to mention we have really good memes. Like East Denver has a lot of mascots. Like we have the Buffacorn, which is the strength of the buffalo and the magic of the unicorn. And we have the Spork, which is the tool of choice for biddlers everywhere, the humble instrument that can do whatever it needs to do without being ostentatious. This coming year is the year of the Spork. So expect Spork imagery and literal like Last year we had rainbow sporks. I'm sure you're finding it. I'm looking for it right now. <laughs> yeah. And so to like be a biddler who's a buffacorn using a spork to biddle the decentralized future, like it's a mouthful and it makes no sense when I explain it to my family at Thanksgiving. But it's just fun to just like Raid Guild with its Dungeons and Dragons theming. It's fun to be in a space where instead of saying things like, Hey, who's a front end dev? I need help on this project. It's like, I need a warrior for this raid. Like, you say the same idea, but just have more fun with it. And so, in that way, I think Eat Denver excels at having like a, a cultural vibe of being weird and cozy and welcoming and cutesy. Our main brand colors are pink and purple. <laughs> I told that to a friend of mine and they rolled their eyes and they were like, so millennial. I was like, well. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really is a, a super fun event. And when you're walking around, it, it was at the Sports Castle for the past five or six years. This year, it'll be at a new venue. But when you're just walking around the Sports Castle, you can just kind of feel the vibe just emanating from everyone who's there. Yeah, 100%. Another thing that is... I think not yet well understood, but profoundly different, not only between ETH Denver and other Web3 events, but between ETH Denver and, I mean, it's it's sort of the only example I can think of of what it is, is that over the past year, we have successfully passed legislation in the state of Colorado to allow ETH Denver and Sporkdown more generally to form a limited cooperative association where membership in the cooperative is represented by an ERC-20 token called Spork. And so you are a member when you come to ETH Denver and our airdrop Spork for free for attending, volunteering, speaking, fiddling, mentoring, judging, sponsoring, buying merch, etc. You actually are a cooperative member of the thing. We all, the community that attends, are the cooperative that is in some ways responsible for stewarding the flourishing of the ETH Denver ecosystem and, and everything SporkDAO is trying to do into the future. And in particular, we recently launched our venture arm called Buffacorn Ventures because we wanted to be able to invest in some of the projects that come out of the Biddleathon. Like we saw one inch come and then become super successful and said, well, frankly, we should be able to support projects like this that clearly have success in their, in their sites. So we launched this year. We've already got a couple dozen portfolio companies that we're supporting every day. And that's absolutely wild to me because do you know who's going to profit if and when any of these portfolio companies really blossoms into something super useful in our ecosystem? Do you know who actually is the, not actually, but by analogy, shareholder equivalent of the success of all these projects? It's spork holders. It's everyone that's ever attended ETH Denver or contributed to value in our ecosystem is actually going to get an airdrop. And so to really grok that simply by attending, much less fiddling or volunteering or what have you, you are contributing value, not only in an abstract conceptual sense, but being acknowledged for it and given this ERC-20 that represents Yes, we see you. We appreciate you being here. And you are now a part of how we are becoming the thing we're becoming. This is not value being extracted and sucked to the top. This is now a collaboratively managed community. And we need you to take part in nurturing it. That's super cool. Is this built off of the foundations of the work that Opolis has been putting forth over the past few years? Yeah. John Powler is the founder of Opolis and co-founder of ETH Denver. And with the work of amazing lawyers like Yev Muchnik, been able to push through or support drafting the uh, cooperative law I referred to a moment ago. So we're actually pioneering the legal framework to be able to do this 
crazy live action experiment in real time that we're trying out here. Shout out to Yev. She helped uh, incorporate our business to operate a validator node for the Neo network. It was great to work with her. Yev's a powerhouse. Yes, absolutely. So I hadn't learned much about the kind of venture arm of, we'll just call it the Spork DAO, I suppose. So let's tie this back to the type of people we want to apply for scholarships to ETH Denver and the type of biddlers we want to have come join the event. How does SporkDAO go about incubating projects that arise out of East Denver? Most investment organizations have like a mandate or a focus. And ours is on projects that are predominantly public goods that are going to onboard folks to the Web3 space. We don't tend to prioritize amazing projects that focus on users that are already in the Web3 space. And we don't tend to focus on projects that have like a private good profit motive. Those are wonderful. They're just not our lane and our specialty. So a public good for folks who are not familiar with the term is something which is non-competitive, like multiple people can use it and it doesn't make it worse for anyone and inexhaustible where it'll still be there after uh, people have used it. An example would be like a public park or a public library or access to clean air. Like we can all breathe the clean air to a point, you know, there's like the free rider problem and certain things that need to be managed to like take care of the public good or open source software, for example, is another great example. So to that end, we look at projects that come through our Biddleathon and also other Biddleathons. We're not that exclusive where, you know, if you came up with a really cool idea somewhere else, we are still going to have a conversation uh, and say, what are you trying to do? Who is it trying to serve? And like, what's a win for you? And if the answers are, we're trying to create a platform or a protocol or some kind of public good that's going to allow more folks to do something they already need to do in a better way, maybe the Web3 part's totally on the back and it's invisible. Like Social Stack, for example, is trying to take a crack at the microeconomy of like a local currency and sort of extend the familiar customer reward program type things that you experience at checkout. But how can we do it in a way where multiple merchants in an area can use the same thing? And that might even be like a city coin or something that has this more fluid form of actual value in the context of a local economy. It sounds ambitious, but this is something already being piloted outside of Web3 in lots of places, especially as we try to make sure we have like a stable decentralized financial infrastructure more generally to be able to weather any shocks that might happen globally in our communities. So projects like that get us really excited because they're going to solve real problems for real people and use Web3 to do it. And so if the byproduct of that is onboarding more folks, so much the better. So I want to start shilling the Bidlothon and just kind of share information with anyone who's interested, particularly students, because you did mention that there are scholarships. Well, let me take a step back. I believe many others believe in a multi-chain future. And Ethereum Denver, ETH Denver is acknowledging that. So a lot of the sponsors for the Bidlathon are also alternative L1s. So could you just share some insights and information about the other L1s that are, that are there, what kind of bounties they're providing, and how can somebody who wants to biddle for the first time uh, what can they expect when they just show up at ETH Denver and they see all these L1s? How do they decide which ones to build on? And what are those L1s doing to kind of foster that sort of development? From the Biddler perspective, the Biddleathon or Hackathon experience is typically you sign up, receive some communication about deadlines and logistics, like what platform you're going to use. And then at a certain point, you gain access to whatever the main prizes are, we call them track prizes. And then any additional bounties that the sponsors themselves are offering, where you could go for a main prize and a bounty or maybe even several bounties if you're using, whether it's uh, like a Chainlink API or some you're building on a particular L1 and deploying there. These sponsors want to incentivize new biddlers creating their projects in a way that is like positive sum with their existing ecosystem. And basically, they throw a lot of money at helping folks do that. And so from the Biddler experience, you do your best to learn about the options that you have. 
and cobble together some bounties that make sense in the context of the idea that you have and submit and hope for the best. But from the sponsor side, one thing I've learned after getting to talk to a bunch of these folks is that that's only the beginning. Because if you're an L1 or even if you're some kind of other protocol hoping to integrate with folks, um, dApps, the bounty is just the introduction. Here's $1,000, $500, sometimes up to $10,000 to try to really strongly incentivize you to take a look at what we're doing here and decide whether you want our thing to be a core part of your thing from the beginning. But they don't want it to stop there. They don't want to be throwing thousands of dollars at projects that are just going to move on to go back to their life or go back to college or what have you. They're really hoping that these founders take these projects and nurture them for the long run. And they back up that hope. A lot of folks don't realize their first go around a Bitalathon that post Bitalathon, if you've built something interesting, you're going to get VCs knocking on your door. And if fundraising seems too intimidating, then there's also especially for layer ones, a really rich ecosystem of grants and accelerators and incubators where you could take your project you made over the course of two or three days and commit to maybe eight weeks of building it at a more reasonable pace, finally getting to some of those features on your roadmap that you thought you were going to be able to knock out in two days until the debugging kicked in and build it into a working prototype version of what you're talking about so that when you give your next pitch, you can say, well, We've already got a few thousand active users. We've already got this much value flowing through our system. We anticipate this kind of growth. And that puts you in a pretty strong position to be able to either bring on some seed round money or apply for an incubator, these kinds of things. So when I say, just show up, just show up to ETH Denver or some other Web3 event, just participate, even if you think you don't know enough and your background is graphic design and Figma or your background is just uh, creating a, a strong presentation. That's my superpower. I just make a good presentation. I'm not a very good dev, frankly, but that's enough to meaningfully contribute to a lot of teams. And you'll find that if you had an interesting idea and communicated it in a clear way, you're going to have people knocking at your door and begging you to keep working on it because it's positive sum for them and what they're trying to do. So I highly encourage folks to consider the possibility that if you show up and meet a team of strangers, that you might actually, by the end of it, end up in a situation where you're winning more than you expected. And then the team is suddenly like, this is our startup now. Because that was my experience. I recently attended Nearcon Beta in Lisbon, Portugal. I showed up and met three Germans and a Spaniard. It sounds like a, a knock-knock joke. And we put together a project. And long story short, we got third place out of 100 projects and won thousands of dollars. And suddenly it was like, oh, this is real. Who's going to keep working on this? And then we rolled that over into the next eight-week version of the thing and recently submitted for that. Wish us luck. So there's a, a very clear path once you start taking it one step at a time to continuing to play and biddle and just kind of see what makes the most sense for your project and your goals. Oftentimes when I'm speaking with someone who's interested in building, whether it's online or in person, one of the consternations that I hear is, I have an idea, but I don't know how to go about finding people. So could you maybe share just a little bit of your insights? What are the two ways that you can go about finding people, either A, online, or B, when you just show up to one of these conferences and you look for a team, what are just some sort of insights or tips or tricks that you might have? Finding people to support you in biddling an idea you have is very challenging. And the difficulty there is one of the main reasons folks come in with good intentions about contributing and then have a harder time connecting than they expected and end up not really participating or submitting by the end of it. And so that's something we put a huge amount of attention and effort into supporting with explicit curated, communicated team formation sessions, channels in our Discord where you can talk to each other, a template where it's like, put your name, put your skill set, if you've got an idea, how many people are on your team. We want to make it really clear because we know that it's overwhelming to step into an event with upwards of tens of thousands of people and just scream into the void, hi, my name's Derek. I can't even really code and I need some people to help me with my cool idea I had in the shower yesterday. Like that's a strange thing for somebody to do if they've never done it before. And we know that. So we want to, again, be newbie friendly, be conscious of the onboarding experience, titrate it in a way where each step feels like it makes sense, isn't too scary, and is really clear. Go here, 
say this in this way, look for these types of responses. And you know how people work. If you give them clear rules and expectations and structure, they can play. We build the sandbox and all you got to do is show up and start making your castles. Yeah, that's some really good advice. And it also melds the kind of meat space and the digital space where you can kind of come up with some ideas and concepts and then share it with folks in a Discord server and then maybe meet up in person. Or when you get to an event in person, there are people like you that just kind of like lead folks into the right direction. So thanks for for sharing some more insights about that. We did mention scholarships and you did mention that there is support for students. So what are the scholarships? What's out there? Like if I'm a student from the University of Michigan and I'm just hearing about this on this podcast, but I don't have money for a flight or for a hotel, or I'm wondering about how I'm going to eat when I'm at the event, what sort of support is available through the scholarship program? If you're looking to attend East Denver or thinking about it, and one of the main barriers for you would be the cost of travel or housing. Because again, it's free to attend. We provide free food and beverage, free access to mentors to help you get your project across the finish line. But we know that financial barrier is a is a major one for a lot of folks, especially younger folks. So we have the East Denver scholarship program that you can find at eastdenver.com slash scholarships. And we did some research with folks like the kinds of folks we want to make sure can get there and ask what their main barrier was. And resoundingly, the answer was housing. Just having a place to sleep at night ends up being a huge money sink for folks. And so that's why this year at our new venue, we're going to be piloting our first try at providing hundreds of beds for biddlers and other folks that we want to make sure can get there to just have a place to set their stuff down. It's going to have security. It's going to have its onboarding and rules and regulations and all that. And it's going to be a bit of a grungy hostile vibe, if you will, the type of folks that are like, listen, I don't need some five-star hotel. I just need a safe place to set my stuff down and sleep. And that's right next to the venue so that I can wake up, walk in, have my coffee and keep biddling. If that sounds interesting to you to have a free place that's right next to the venue to be able to meet folks and connect and minimize your commute and maximize your experience, then check out eatdenver.com slash scholarships. We would love to have you apply. Being a planning and architecture nerd, it was awesome to see a historic building in Denver be used for the previous years. This will be the first year in 2023 that the event is being hosted elsewhere, uh, which will be at the National Western Stock Show, which is also a prominent place of importance to the Colorado region. It's where a lot of our agricultural farmers go to market their cattle and other sort of farming equipment, it serves as like a large convention center for that. So while we're not going to see the same kind of love for historic architecture, there's still regional importance to the facility that's going to be used. So before we wrap up, could you just share a little bit about what the differences will be in the new facility and what can folks expect at the new uh, landing place for East Denver 2023? We're sad to have outgrown the sports castle. It has served us very well and become a staple. Like you can see in our NFT set, the Buffcorn Biddle Brigade, the sports castle is one of the backgrounds. It will always be a part of our DNA, which is why we're calling the new venue the National Western Spork Castle. Again, it's the year of the spork. Little Alpha, we might do some interesting stuff with the facade and the entrance and a lot of decoration internally to pay homage to the sports castle and not lose sight of our roots. And I just got off a call earlier this morning where we were talking about how next to the Biddler area, there's a stage we're going to make sure is like highly curated stuff to support folks with their front end, with their uh, pitch practice and so on. And that stage has not only the doors you go in for the seating, but directly into the stage itself are these two larger sliding doors that are where you're meant to bring your cows in and put them on stage and then bring them back out. It truly is a place where people show off their livestock. So this is just a grungy venue. We knew we needed to grow into a place that could reasonably handle tens of thousands of people. And we didn't want like some super corporate conference center because again, that's not our DNA. So we're going with the National Winter Western Sport Castle and we're going to do it big. That's super exciting. One of my first jobs out of college was a canvasser. 
And uh, I actually canvassed on behalf of affordable electricity inside of the the National Western Stock Show during one of these major uh, stock conventions. So it, I personally can't wait to to go to the event and to uh, see how I've grown professionally from my first days out of grad school to where I'm at today. So I can't convey enough how much I want people to come join this event and to get a little taste of the culture here in Colorado, of the blockchain culture, of Ethereum's culture, and of the growing Web3 space. So if people want to register for the event, where do they go? And if people want to get in contact with you, how do they reach out to you? If you want to learn more, check out ethdenver.com slash apply. And if you want to get in touch with us, the easiest ways are to join our community at discord.gg slash sporkdow and try our new onboarding flow through Tavern Keeper, one of the projects that came out of Eat Denver this year. And if you're interested in the scholarship, you can check out eatdenver.com slash scholarships. I also encourage you to check us out on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ethereum Denver, where we do a lot of our announcements and alpha leaks. Applications are open now. When do the applications close? We respond to them on a rolling basis. It takes us about two weeks per wave. And the earlier you get yours in, the better. Because uh, when it comes especially to things like volunteering or mentoring or judging or speaking, these types of, we call them contributor roles, we process them chronologically. So if you're even considering coming, I encourage you to do it ASAP. Well, I'm going to register once we hang up off this call. I... Really look forward to running into you at, in person at ETH Denver. Thank you so much for coming to Show Colorado, Show ETH Denver, kind of share a lot of the opportunities that are out there for future Biddlers and to kind of inspire the next generation. It was great to, to meet you. It was great to have you on the pod. And I can't wait to run into you in person and host you on a, another podcast episode in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dylan. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Well... What did you think of that conversation? I thought it was really cool to hear about the ways in which folks can onboard into the Web3 space and how to go about finding communities to build with. I also enjoyed learning more about the SporkDAO Limited Cooperative Association that was established here in Colorado and how members are represented by Spork tokens. And it was awesome to hear about the scholarship opportunities that are available to incentivize students to participate the event and hackathon. Don't forget, if you're interested in attending ETH Denver, registration for 2023 is now open. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, Please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.